Welcome to Brews Rock. We're Chuck Mountain, a band nestled in the beautiful beer country of North Carolina. Each week, we pick brewers' minds about their brewing philosophy and pick up tricks to bring new life to your home brew. We played at countless breweries and decided it was about time to learn how to craft our own. This week, we headed down to Sammy's Stomping Grounds, Graham, North Carolina, to check out Little Oblivion Brewing Company, where we met with the owner and brewer, Eric. He told us about his home brewing past and how there's a limit to beer you can brew at home. Not only did we learn about home brewing, we also got to learn about a craft beer degree up at AB Tech in Asheville, North Carolina. We went in depth on more flavors to watch out for when brewing beers that are caused by incomplete fermentation. It was wild to see that all his brewing equipment is right there in the tap room so people can see the process. Yeah, no, no one really has cussed on the podcast yet, but I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. I'm all just right. waiting for it. <laughs> it's not for kids because I don't think the kids are going to be drinking beer. Yeah, <laughs> so like you got to be 21 to drink in general. Yeah, this podcast is not made for kids. <laughs> tell, me, tell me the background behind the podcast, how you started, all that stuff. I, I'm curious. So we played a bunch of breweries during COVID. That was like our main source of income was breweries started opening up and they had music outside. Yeah. So we jumped out. We just went and started playing a bunch. We were drinking a bunch of beer and we we're just like, I don't know where the name Bruise Rock even came from. I coined like, it. You did? I coined it, yeah. Oh, well then, Sammy coined it. We went to Little Brother. We played, but they had a, what was it, the Ghost Pepper Pale Ale? The, that was Joymongers. Joymongers. Yeah. Yeah, Joymongers had a Ghost Pepper Pale Ale. And we had thrown around the idea of trying to do funny reviews of like weird beers around. And so we were, I was like, we play Blues Rock, so Bruise Rock would be really cool. Yeah. And like we sat on that idea for a while and then like we did one video, it was really weird and awkward and we sat on it for a year and then we decided to finally come through and we tried like a video series on it where it started off mostly just like reviewing the beer, but we didn't know how to properly review the beer. So it was like a review from like our taste buds. And then we had a few beers that were bad. And so then we like <laughs> wagged on the beers. And, and then, so then we're like, well, that's not sustainable because we can't get these people to be like, hey, yeah, come review our actual beer. Right. <laughs> I run a podcast for a company called Weld.com. Okay. It's like a welding education website. Oh, cool. So I just interview welders and I've been doing it for almost a year now. And I was like, we need to make this podcast form because it's way more accessible to people to just listen on the go. Yeah. I mean, our Bruise Rock one was like 15, 20 minute long while people are driving in their car. They can't watch like a YouTube video, yeah. so to say. Are you a welder by trade? Yeah. I got into that during COVID. So. Okay. COVID canceled my welding course. I was going to take at Durham Tech. Oh, really? Yeah. I'd signed up. I was like, I want to go learn how to sanitary well. That'd be kind of fun. That's what I wanted to yeah. get into. Was <laughs> and then it got term. canceled. I never tried again because I so we started this place. So I didn't yeah. have time. If you ever want to learn, man, I tutor at GTCC. But oh, that's uh, cool. Sanitary is a yeah. tricky process. The welding aspect isn't that bad, but it's like making sure everything is purged and cleaned and 
it's just like a nightmare. Yeah, it's similar to brewing and sanitizing a tank. Yeah. You just have to have it. Immaculate conditions for perfect fermentation. Like yeah. Same thing. You don't want anything else growing in there. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of stuff likes beer, including me. Yeah, I know. <laughs> We've heard, what's the diatacetol or di- diacetyl? Yeah, yeah, like all these impurities that we've never heard of. Like, I can run you through the gamut of it. I, I used to run our sensory program at the last brewery I worked for. Okay. And I would do ours. We did a Friday sensory analysis every other Friday. It was all in-house. I would intentionally spike off flavors and beers, make people pick them out. I would, and I built the thresholds down really low because everybody that was there was in our sensory program, like all the staff. And so if they picked it up and wanted beers, they could immediately alert the production staff and the taproom staff to pull the beer because you don't want to serve bad beer. Yeah, no, you definitely don't want to. Yeah, it triggered a whole series of events of, oh, God, we got to do sensory analysis on this beer on Monday first thing. And then, cool. And then we decide, are we going to pull the beer? Is it noticeable? Are people going to pick up on it? I mean, it was a whole thing, right? Yeah. It's There's a ton of different off flavors that can make people perceive your beer as bad just because of one little error. Yeah. And that's not good in the market. Like, yeah, once no, you, that's the bad. Once, once you get the reputation, man, those guys in beer isn't that good. A lot of well, people catch on Take really one beer, you know, exactly. one yep. beer, one bad beer. Especially if it's one of your popular beers. I mean, it's just yeah. a beer that sells well and doesn't taste right. You're done for a while anyway. It's hard to get over that. I have my school, where I went to brewing school, to thank for that. They, we really hammered on sensory analysis and being able to pick up off flavors in beer and how you go about properly tasting and sensory analysis for beer, stuff like that. It, it stretches for beer to food to anything you consume now. It's like, does this taste the same as the last time? Is this style? Is it to brand? There's major market beers out there that intentionally have acid aldehyde, which is like an apple skin flavor in it. Yeah. Maybe some people would perceive it as like, like vinyl shower curtain smell. But if you've ever picked that up in a beer that's acid aldehyde and there's beers out there that intentionally have it because they can't change now because their consumer base is used to it. And if they take it out, they'll be like, oh, this doesn't taste right anymore. But so. like, why would you add that in the first place? Just well, for the know, flavor? That's an off flavor that comes from incomplete fermentation or not letting your yeast clean up after itself. So yeast produces that in every beer. Acetaldehyde and diacetyl are produced in virtually every beer that's brewed. But yeast, when it's done fermenting, the sugars will come back around and clean up after itself and clean those off flavors up if you let it fully go the circle. Learn new things yeah, yeah. every Science. single time. Yeah. It's so cool. Well, it's that's that's super thing. nerdery, but it's that's where it's at. Like we're all nerds in some way. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but there's so much to learn about. Every industry has like millions of things to learn and brewing is a science in its own. But that reminds me of distilling like liquor. If you don't get that methanol out of there, you're in trouble. Yeah, poison people. Yeah. And methanol's dangerous, man. It's crazy. Do you want to introduce yourself, your brewery, and how you got into the game? Yeah, sure. My name is Eric Lebsack. I got in the brewing game from home brewing, like many of us do, for years. And then access to a proper brewing program really spurred me on. Winning a couple of home brewing awards helped me seek that out. And then I worked for another brewery, another big brewery that's in the triangle. And then came here to start my thing, kind of set me free to go do that. Where did you go to school? I went to school at AB Tech in Asheville, the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast. It's an extension of their culinary program up there, and it's really comprehensive. It's a two-year degree program. It's an Associates of Science and Fermentation Sciences. And it's a, it's really it's a comprehensive program. It's cool, man. It's not just beer. It's cider making, distilling, making fermented foods, like pickles, tempeh, whatever you want to do. Coffee, kimchi. chocolate. Yeah, kimchi, all that stuff. That's so cool. Really cool, really <laughs> cool rounded education. But it was focused on beer up there because I think it was needed for that industry at that time. Yeah. And like all the breweries that were opening up there needed trained folks. They wanted local folks, which was super cool that they started that program. I jumped in 2014. How do you get into the program? Yeah, it's a community college, so you go stand in line, and it's a high-demand program. I don't know how many they take these days, but when I was there, I let the first cohort go by, and I regretted it for a year. I was like, why didn't I go sign up? And then the second year came around, I was like, I'm going to do this, man. If I get in, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go to school full-time. 
So that's what I did. I wound up getting in. They only take 24 a semester, 24 students a semester. I think I, I asked the lady how many I was, and I think she told me I was the 21st. And I got there at 4.45 in the morning. Let's say camping out, waiting for that yeah, line to open it up. Rain, it was cold. It was just, it was miserable. But I was like leaning forward in line, like seeing how many dudes have beards. Like, I was trying to yeah. see if I had a chance because I was like, I'm, I might bail on this. Yeah. Because it's so cold. It was miserable. But I stuck it out and got in. So That's crazy. Yeah, I guess you had to move up there. I did. I actually lived in like the South Durham, North North Wake County, that corner where Kerry meets Durham. Yeah. Lived there and then got a job in Asheville prior to that and moved up there, got a chance to work up there and live up there. I was like, cool, I'll go to the mountains for whatever. Went up there and did that. And then was at a job that I actually really enjoyed doing, but it was to a point I was sitting at a desk and I'm not really a desk guy. Yeah. And I realized that then launched into the brewing program, found that coming back around and jumped on the chance to do it. That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. I'd Wait, do it all again. How did you get into home brewing? Was it just a hobby or was it like Yeah, so friends? I grew up in Michigan, man, and craft beer is pretty prevalent up there. And I remember like back in the day, you'd go into, there's this little store that I would pass sometimes going back and forth to work. Can't remember the name of it, but you go in there, they didn't have like Coors Light, Bud Light and all that stuff. They had like crazy craft beers from all across the country. And that's what they specialized there. It was like craft beers and wine. And it was weird to me at first, but I was like, God, look at these flavors. I got to try some of these. And so I started trying like the cherry wheats and the stuff, you know, the early stuff that everybody tries first back in those days. Yeah. I mean, we're talking like early to mid nineties in those days. So I got into it that kind of then, but I was still, you know, like, ah, whatever, man, it's just kind of an anomaly or a little fascination for some people, whatever, it's yeah. fine. When I moved out West, I lived in California and went to school out in California. And when I moved out there, it was really hitting the West coast and like the big IPAs were coming around and stuff like that. It blew my mind. I was like, man, there's so much flavor in this beer. It's so amazing to drink two or three of these and be so satisfied with yeah. what you've had that night and just think about going back to get more. That was the first thing I'd think of when I was done with work. It's like, I'm gonna go drink a couple of beers, man. Yeah. Go have some of these good craft beers that I'm finding. And it, that's where it all started. And then I started home brewing then. I was like, oh man, people have stores where they sell stuff. You can make this stuff. Like, yeah. That's cool. So I started doing that, get really into it. And then it got to a point where I was probably making enough beer when I lived in the state of North Carolina to be illegally making beer in the state of North Carolina because they limit you. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is anymore. But at the time, I think it was like 100 gallons per year per person in the household. And I was exceeding that because okay. I was like, I'm going to make all the beer I can and then all my friends can drink it. And then I was like, yeah, this could be this could be a job. <laughs> so, I should open a bar in my backyard. <laughs> it was to the point it was a little on the edge of being illegal, yeah. but. It was a lot of fun, man. I really enjoyed it, really getting into it, made bottles and labels and have like production parties where we'd fill a bottle and cap them, put the labels on them in the same day and then everybody would take a couple cases home or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. It was great. Poker nights were always at your house. Yeah, except nobody brought any <laughs> cards. I don't know. <laughs> we just all sat around and drank the years. That's nuts, man. What kind of volume are you doing here compared to that? Like how much do you do at a brewery compared to home? Here, it's not much more than what I was home brewing. I'm on a one barrel system here, so I'm doing 31 plus or minus gallons per batch. And that ferments us out and gets us enough to serve in our tap room and have fun here. And we're not really distributing or putting beers out in the market, but uh, every once in a while, somebody buy a keg and we'll throw it out there and it's fun that way. But last brew I worked out was a 15 barrel system. So 15 times scale and we were double batching. So 30 barrels wasn't any harder than what I do here. It's just bigger scale, almost the same amount of time for a batch. Like I brew a yeah. barrel here in about five hours. I can turn that into the tank in five hours and a 15 barrel batch is about similar. Maybe a little, even a little shorter because the equipment's easier to use when it's bigger scale. That's wild, man. When you said you don't do distributing, do you do any canning or anything like that? We do. We do some small bottle format stuff. We do some 500 mil bottles. It's like 16.9 ounces, give or take. 
and we just do those and they're hand labeled and I'll just, every once in a while I'll pull a small batch and just put them in bottles and then we'll just announce it and release it. And it'll sell pretty quickly. Collaborations is where I look to can beers. Like you guys probably know how cool cans are to have. Oh, yeah. You take home, yeah. house. everybody has a kegerator home. So having a 12 pack or six pack or four pack or whatever it is to take home. Yeah. That's an awesome thing, man. We don't discriminate. Oh, we don't discriminate. Yeah. If it's in a keg or a can, we'll drink it. Yeah. We'll put the can in the kegerator and we'll pull it out from the kegerator. <laughs> or we'll put the keg in there. We'll just draft it up. I like that. So what inspires your recipes of your beers? That's a great question. I think a lot of mine comes from beers I've had in the past that I want to recreate or something like, hey, I really love this beer, but I don't want to necessarily make that exact beer. Some of it comes from like the culinary world. I'll, I'll be eating something I'm like, oh, it pairs so well with this beer. How can you mesh this together? Especially like with stouts and desserts and things like that. That's an easy one, right? And then sometimes you just come across a hop that you really like the aroma of and you're like, I'm just going to stick this in an IPA and play with it. And a lot of it is like when I was homebrewing back in those days, a lot of it was experimenting for what ultimately became this place of like, I'm going to brew an IPA, split it into four different fermenters in my house and then dry hop it with different hops and do different stuff like that. So what's your favorite pair that you've made with the food plus a beer? Oof, man. The reason we put our Belgian double on every year or we will every year. And I used to make it every year about this time. Even when I was homebrewing is, is because it pairs so well with those holiday meals from the roasted meats all the way through the desserts. It's got like flavors that play well with all that stuff. And I really love it. That's a great holiday table beer because it's a little higher ABV, but yeah. you throw it on the table, everybody gets a couple sips of it, has a little fun. It's not as strong as a bottle of wine, but so yeah, we have, we have fun with that. And that's probably my favorite. That's an awesome concept of a beer that can work through a whole, yeah, yeah we got this beer. You're going to drink it through the whole meal and it's going to work perfectly through all yeah. these different yeah. beds. I've never thought of that. Yeah. So where did the name Little Oblivion come from? That all started, my business partner, who's no longer with us, God rest his soul. He always talked about when life gets too busy, it was great to just check out, go have a beer somewhere and set your phone down, put it away, and just kind of sink into the oblivion for 30 minutes while you enjoy your beer. And so when we were talking about names for this place, we got all our business partners together, we did this huge group presentation. And we just kept talking about like that kind of concept. And finally I was just like, why don't we just call it Little Oblivion? He was like, that's where I was going. It worked out. And it, it comes from a lot of his things that he used to watch. Uh, I think it's called Pale Blue Dot. There's some mention of like just a little oblivion out there in the void or something like that. And he played with that tune for a while. And so I was just like, man, this seems like a simple solution. Makes sense with your mural of the space. Yeah. And that came like later, right? Like you want to paint this cool mural. The artist that did it, her name is Audrey. She's super cool. We got paired with her for the holiday window painting in downtown Graham. Oh, yeah. She was here doing the window painting and she did this cool Grinch scene where he was holding a bag of toys, but it was all hops falling out. Oh, cool. And the little dog was there. It was really cool. And then like when we knew that we were going to do a mural of some sort, we just approached her and said, do whatever you want. And that's, that's what cool. she that's what she put up there and i love it man it was cool yeah it was cool to watch it come together too because it took like a handful of weeks yeah so it was cool to be like oh, i wonder where it's going yeah. it was neat and that's something that's really big in the beer world is just art yeah. it's like there's so many murals on different breweries and i like that and your brewery tells about all of this art you have up here is this all like one artist yeah so all the way down is one artist and then when it gets to the photographs that's a different artist but we've had two artists in here so far. The first quarter, we had an artist that came in here and multi multimedia art. Her stuff was amazing. And then she took it down. And then this guy's name is Johnny. He's the hardcore painter. If you want to follow him on Instagram, his stuff on Instagram, like how he makes that stuff on there, it's just amazing to watch. Yeah. And he came in and he approached us and said, hey, I'd love to hang my stuff on your walls. And we're like, we'd love to have it. And he came in and he did a great opening party and it was so much fun and it was packed out. And he did an auction, like he painted a special thing for the auction and raise some funds for a charity that he was involved with. And it's, it's so much fun. And he, he's changed a couple out since they've been in here. I think he's either sold some or 
taking them to like other galleries where they wanted to have them. So That's it's cool. been a cool place. It's been a cool thing to be able to showcase an artist's artwork where it without them having to pay yeah because it benefits yeah, us both like we get to display really cool art and they have a place to show it off and i think that's it's one of the coolest things that's what a coffee it's all shop about. in greensboro that was like that yeah. a lot of it was like the kids from the college right behind the coffee shop who don't have an outlet otherwise to yeah. hang their and they could do it cool. they could put price tags on people could buy it from the coffee yeah. shop and then they would come in and then collect the money and split with whatever dividends that's what like beer like breweries are very art friendly, in mm -hmm. my opinion. It's like beer, they're either like having music, they have artists come in, they have pop-up markets. There's all kinds of stuff you could do that's just collaborating with your community. Yeah, it's for us, it's, you know, it's a lot of our beer names are music inspired stuff from all over the place. It's just, we get Chuck inspired Mills, by- Chuck <laughs> <laughs> Might see that up there one day. Hey. But it's, it's like, you're just listening to a song, you're like, oh, I'm making this beer, but this kind of sounds cool. And, Oh, there's this cool line in the song. I'm just going to name it that. Is that Sometimes, so the bloom I had last time? Was that from Nirvana? No. Okay. Well, we're not going to say it. Either. Okay. <laughs> they still have too much money. There you go. And so as far as I would love to check out your brewing setup to sure. just walk us through real quick, like what, how it works for you. Because like we've been to so far, like we've been to some smaller breweries. We've been to some bigger breweries and it's just cool to see it like. All of the setup you have back there looks very advanced. I saw a lot of lights. <laughs> it is, but it's super tiny. And the, the whole point was we both worked at bigger places, had giant fermentation tanks that are like to the roof and yeah. climb on top and you're terrified, but you're placing <laughs> yeah. gaskets anyway, doing what you do up there. And I just thought it'd be way more fun to go small scale and put it in a small building on a main street in a downtown somewhere. And what a great downtown. Yeah, yeah just ground. having to be able to shoehorn a brewery into this tiny little space and make it, make it fun. What brought you to Graham? Was it this location or was it? it? It did turn out to be this location. We looked over here at some buildings in Burlington to buy. So glad you're in Graham, not Burlington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but we just, we realized how far off the freeway Burlington can be for some folks. And we wanted to be in a higher traffic area, which as you can see, it's crazy over here. Yeah. And we wanted to be on a main street in a small town, but we looked at buildings because we were going to go large scale at first. We were going to go like a 10, seven or 10 barrel system, larger scale, not large by any means, but we're gonna larger scale. And we were like, oh, cool, we'll buy the building. We'll do this, we'll get all this equipment, go get a big giant loan and fund it that way. And then we'll just pay it back because the numbers work. Yeah. And then the PPP loans started getting funded and nobody was funding startups, even with initial investment being 20, up to 20% of what we are doing. And we're like, well, I guess we'll do something smaller. Yeah. And I was like, that sounds more fun anyway. So let's go do that. It seems way more personal, right? Yeah. I make the beer on a, across a rail where people can sit and talk to me if yeah. I'm here cleaning up late or whatever. And yeah, that's, and that's very what it's all different. about. It's all a fun display and people can walk by and look at it and wonder what it's all about or know what it's all about or whatever it is. It's Yeah, that's the one thing I was uh, talking about with this is like talking to the people that have their brewery set up where you can see it because I feel like that's what people want to hear because they're sitting there all night drinking a beer, staring at it, being like, I wonder how that stuff works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It always blows my mind when you go to a brewery and you can't see where they make the beer. Yeah. Or, or you can't Seems even just shady. see like tanks or something it's just a wall and you're just sitting in you might as well just go to a bar or tap room somewhere which is fine if that's your thing but i always like seeing the equipment i'm a nerd but i like seeing all the equipment all hey being a nerd is not curious. a bad thing <laughs> yeah we're all nerds nerds in the right way yeah but what you're saying goes into the that one tuesday when i walked by and you were like you should just knock on the door yeah and it's because you, you saw you in there either brewing or cleaning up and i was yeah. like i'm not gonna bother him i would open the door and brought you in man yeah. you could hung out watched whatever it's super boring to watch me work but 
It would have been cool to have some company. Yeah. yeah, I was about to say, a lot of times. It's really quiet here. By yourself, it might be nice to have someone to talk to. Yeah. You should hear how loud the music is in here. We'll know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it pretty good. That's awesome. So, yeah, let's go check out those yeah, brew setup. Yeah, SS Brew Tech is the company. They made all of our equipment. A couple smaller pumps we have from other companies and stuff, but uh, pretty small stuff. So is that the brand, the SS? Yeah. SS Brew Tech, yeah. It's going to get really bright in here, so I apologize, but that's the only lights I have are these giant LEDs. Oh, dang. Everybody, Laura's going to look as soon as I turn this on. Yeah, so come on back. You can see how small and tight it is back here. So I'm a one-man show in production here. So this is basically how this works. I've got a mash done here where I put the grains in the water together, let them sit and steep in chemical, chemically enhanced, salt-enhanced, pH-balanced water. And I pump it over here. This is the boil kettle. It's pretty cool. It's got a little internal calandry in there, so it comes up to boil super fast and gets really vigorous. Oh, dang. Yeah, it's like an upright element. Oh, nice. So it just gets cranking. It's nuts. It gets to boil really quick, and it turns 75, so I don't touch it. It's a little warm, but that's just hot liquor. That's hot liquor, and I don't know if you guys know about liquor in the brewing world, but it's just water that you use for making beer. Yeah, we've heard about Okay, cool. Oh, really? No, I've never. Hot liquor tank? Yeah, cold liquor tank? Hot liquor tank, but it's just water? Yeah, yeah. it's just hot water. Some people put like their chlorides and sulfates and stuff in there with it, but I don't. I just add them when I get when it gets to the product side. This is really not just a cleaning vessel. And then uh, these are fermenters. So what happens is after I make the boil, I circulate it a little bit, let it settle and then add any final ops I want to do. And then it pumps out of here and it goes through a little heat exchanger down there and goes into the tank and I, it runs out of there at near boiling temp. It's usually around 201 by the time it's all settled. And it goes into these tanks around between 68 and 70 degrees, depending on what I'm shooting for and temperature groundwater right now, <laughs> it all makes it. But it's all about balancing your, your valve flows. It's super, pretty easy. Once you get it set, it's pretty, pretty steady. And then I pitch yeast and oxygenate it and then it let it rip fermentation wise. Just monitor that, change tempers and make sure it's happy. Usually start lower temp, work it way, warm it up as it gets through fermentation so it stays happy and stays active. That's it, man. Each one of these tanks will hold the batch, about a barrel, a little over a barrel. And then, and then the one on the end is a two barrel. Straight into the cakes or? Yeah, so these are unit tanks, so they're cool. And you can see like this up here is unjacketed. So if you've touched one of the tanks that's chilled down there, this will be really cold, but this is a jacketed. So this is insulation with a coil of food grade glycol that runs through it. And the glycol sits in here. This is like a big chiller. So there's a coil in here that chills the glycol and then the glycol pumps through those jackets slowly and cools the beer. As far as carbonation, because we've had this conversation with a couple of people, some people pump it into a bright tank and carbonate it yeah. or just yeast. Do you just yeast? Yeah, it? no, I don't I don't finish fermentation under pressure to cap capture that. I let it finish out and then, then I seal the vessel up, cool it down, let it clarify a little bit, let some yeast drop out of suspension. As it gets colder, yeast will fall out of suspension. That's why you see the cones they'll yeah. gather in the cones and then this little guy right here you can see this one the way this one's turned there's an arm in there that points and it, you can see the ones that are turned upright the arms pointing straight upright it's called a racking arm so i can turn that i just kegged this yesterday and you can see the racking arms turned just above the yeast bed so i'm getting clear beer from just above like that far above the yeast bed and but these are cool i can i'd take these tanks down to 31 degrees and then pressure carbonate so what i do is i put a like an isobaric method is what the, i think they call it that's a technical term you put a head pressure in here, so you put, I usually put 15 PSI head pressure on it, and then I'll run carbonation at a certain volume through my flow meter here into the little carb stone, which is attached to that guy, which is just like a, I don't even know what micron it is, it's super tiny, maybe five or 10 micron. Oh, wow, and it disperses CO2 into solution, but solution carbonates more easily at colder temps. So the colder I can make this faster, it'll carbonate basically, cool. or carbonation uptake will happen. Five yeah. microns is tiny. It's tiny. Is it? Okay, yeah, so it's definitely that small. It's probably five. 
Maybe time. I don't know. It's Talking to a nanotechnician. There you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You can go. There's one soaking in a bin over there. You can probably tell me what it's close to. What are all these? Is so these are, yeah. So you can see some of them are turned out. Yeah, these are just temp, temp controllers. Okay. So when this one kicks on, it might be a room temp, give or take. Yeah, so see how it's working because I have the scent point at 31. That's the last temperature I had it set at. Okay. So then I actually regulate it with the, uh, the glycol? Yeah, so what it'll do is this reservoir stays at 28.1 degrees all the time. And what it'll do is when this gets like a degree above the set point, it'll kick on a little pump in there that'll circulate it just through this tank. Gotcha. Yeah, it's really neat how it works. Super simple, but all in tandem, it's really neat. This is just a dummy. This is just a dummy. This is just a dummy, but all in tandem, they work together and they're kind of smart. The, these Brutakes, like, where did you, where is this company out of? They are out of California somewhere. Okay. We've heard a lot of Californians. A lot of stainless steel. Yeah. California. It's closest to China, right? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them get manufactured in China and they'll bring them over and put their, their specific welds on. Welds are gorgeous on these, aren't they? That's why I love SS. <laughs> I've had good luck with them. Some people, have, I think they're early on, some of their equipment wasn't as nicely built, but that's every manufacturer. Yeah. They learn. You get, get better. better. Just like everybody does. But I've had, I've really pleased with this equipment and this and the stuff that we bought from them. And that's awesome, dude. Yeah, no, this is it. And then over here, this is just your cleaning yeah, station. Yeah, yeah, we can walk over there and check it all out. I want to know it all, man. Heck yeah, so this, you can see this one's actively fermenting right here. Yeah, I saw that. It's just ripping away. This is close to getting final. This is our pale ale. What is that, though? Oh, this is just a blow off arm? Basically, so it's just open to the tank in below. It's just a pressure release, and that liquid creates an airlock. So, like, the stuff that wants to eat the beer that's fermenting can't get in because that's a sanitized solution in there, but gas can get out. So that's yeast is making alcohol and CO2, right? So it's just, the tank's just burping CO2 the whole time. Like this one here is just about finished up. You can see how still it is, but yeah. I'm letting the yeast, and this is a cold, so that's why it's setting at that temp. It's a little cooler temp ferment, but I'm just letting the yeast clean up after itself and do what we call the diacetyl rest okay. in the brewing world. When you mentioned diacetyl before, that's what I'm doing on this beer right now. It's just resting. So it can go up. clean up itself. Yep, to clean itself up. Yeah, I've seen the big buckets at the other places yeah. where they just have a. Yeah, we just same thing. Note, we just some of them are like yeah, really thing. goopy. Yeah. yeah, they're like bubbling up, but it's like a if you took a milkshake and you blew yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty calm right there. It's a chill. That's a chill for me. Yeah, it's, it's winding it's down. A cold. That's probably around seventy percent attenuation at this point, so it's winding down pretty heavily. Uh, you got your drain here. Yeah, floor drains are essential. I know everyone's got them. <laughs> see my pile of dirty kegs because keg washing. Got a keg. You got to wash it. <laughs> Not the funnest thing, most fun thing to do. You do? Do you do it by hand, or do you have a machine? Yeah. So the keg washer is buried behind all the dirty kegs. Oh, right? gotcha. <laughs> yeah, just wheel it out here, hook up all my stuff, and then just let it run. That's awesome. Can you do one keg at a time? One keg at a time, and I can do about twenty of them. It takes about three and a half minutes to wash kegs. Oh, that's I not mean, bad. it doesn't take me very long. It's like a short. So that's afternoon. why it's easy to put it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I push it off till I have thirty or forty of them because I could spend an afternoon doing it. So, What's this chamber? That's our autoclave. That's so you remember I was talking about the carbonation stones that are in there. They're, they are, I'll show you one. There, there's one soaking in here. Oh no, they're all in tanks. That's an oxygen stone, but they're all about that. That See that little porous, but that little micron right there, that's an oxygen diffuser. That's a stone I use for that. But every time I brew, I put our carbonation stone and the staff and the little stick in there, the little valve stick. Okay. And then our oxygen stone in there too, because bacteria and yeast like to live in those things. And even a caustic soak may not kill it all. So I autoclave it before I use it. Okay. Every time, every tank, every time. Cleanliness. Yeah, it's all about sanitizing. I don't know if we're ever going to be able to make a good beer. You will. You'll be good. You guys will be fine. <laughs> no, we, we are not the cleanest. Yeah, exclusively for our base malts. Cool, because yeah. I just saw the sign yeah. for it. We've heard a lot about them. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're killing. You can see their bags over there, the blue and yellow bags. Those are that's mall okay. over okay. there. So that's just some like some of the full bags I've got. The rest is in that closet and the little bags and little adjuncts I use are stored in there. But where do you like grind your malt? Yeah, so I've got a little malt mill that stores in that closet also. Oh, okay. I just pop it open. I wheel everything out back because it's super. Yeah. It's a super dusty process. If you were to do it inside, this place would be a mess. So I take it out back on nice days, and I'll mill a bunch of malt into, like, air-sealed bins, and I'll seal it up. And I usually do it the night before I brew, sometimes morning of, most of the time the night before, just because space constraints. There, so I just wheel it outside. It's a little It's a little mill. It takes me about 20 minutes to mill a batch. And, and Are you so, doing this all by yourself? Yeah. Do you have anybody? Nobody yeah. helps you. Just yeah. all you, man. It's all me, man. That's what's up. Yeah. All these other brewers we talked to have assistants. So. <laughs> no, I'll get one one well, same goes right down the street. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just got to find somebody that can stand hanging out with you for like eight hours a day. There you go. <laughs> that's all. So that's what it's all about. Yeah. So you can see all our equipment up here and all the stuff I use for brewing, all the water chemistry I do and parts bins. And yeah, you're very scientific man. about you. Yeah. It's like science and art colliding, right? Yeah. That's It's super cool. And sometimes it's more art, sometimes it's more science. Just depends on the beer and what you're trying to design. Pretty cool stuff. That was great. That was a ton of That was info. the best tour I've ever given, by the way. Hey, we got <laughs> well, it on tape. Yeah, 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 you'll have it forever now. I'll just, uh, we should have shot video, so I could just put it on a screen and let people watch that. <laughs> <laughs> just sit there and drink so, beer. Oh, with. you want a tour? Here, just <laughs> yeah. take the How audio many tours tour. do you, uh, you typically give, like, in a month? That's the first one. I'm. It's the only and first and only tour I've ever done. I mean, when friends come in or whatever, I'll oh, walk yeah, them through, yeah, but yeah. they already know what's up. Yeah. But, yeah, you guys are probably the first real tour I've ever given. We did some on our grand opening, but I've... but we—that's something we've been hearing a lot of. Is like, no one does tours anymore because of the wonderful disease that came through. Yeah. It's like the, since then, like no one's doing tours. Yeah, like, I think no one even asking. The for brewery it. I used to work at in Durham, I think their tours are starting back this coming weekend. Yeah. Perfect time to jump Perfect on the game. Yeah, go, man. Just, I worked at Pony Source. Go do their tour. Oh, okay. Damn, love those guys. Yeah. yeah, I was the first okay. employee they ever hired there. We're getting better at learning about the different equipment now and think we have a good understanding on the importance of glycol. As well as knowing to keep an eye out for those cleaning chemicals unless you want to lose your fingerprints. Thank you, Eric, for sitting down with us and sharing your knowledge and delicious beer. If you're a fan of Little Oblivion, reach out to us at Brews Rock Pod and tag us with a picture of you and your favorite beer. Also, keep an ear out for a new single, Fool's Journey, dropping February 24th alongside a hazy pale ale brewed with Little Brother Brewing. Until next time, we're...